man walks out of the Pulakishti Mosque after saying his evening prayers. He is dressed in a long cotton tunic dyed dark blue which reaches down below his knees. He wears cotton trousers and sandals and a loose white turban on his head. At his waist, the man carries a long Khyber knife. As he walks out into the fading sunshine, he is greeted with shouts from red-coated white men playing a game of cricket in the square. Whilst the white men cheer, the man can almost hear the low growl of resentment building from the locals. The heat of the sun matches the mood of the people. The man walks with purpose through the busy streets, teeming with sellers of spices, silks and furniture. As he winds his way deeper into the heart of the city, he meets up with other men and they begin to build momentum in their numbers. These men are all armed and filled with anger. As they get nearer to their destination, the locals see the danger coming and lock their doors. They reach the house. All of a sudden, the doors to the balcony open and two men step out. One in the red uniform of a British major and the other wearing a white cloak and turban. Both men try to calm the angry mob, but their voices are lost in the growls of fury. Then a single shot rings out, and the British Major is lifted off his feet and crumples against the door, his blood spattered over the other man's pristine white clothes. Another British officer rushes out of the front door, brandishing his sword. The furious mob rush forward, but are met with the cold steel of the man's blade. Six men lie dead before the crowd overwhelm him and tear him apart. Then they rush into the building and find the remaining white-turbaned man and send him to his maker as well. The man walks out to the balcony and searches the major for loot as the sound of horns, cannons and cheers echo across the city as the dawn approaches, bringing with it the sky-stained blood red. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Cloak and Dagger podcast. I'm your host, Will Davis Coleman, and as ever, I'm joined by my co-host, Patrick Courtney. Hey, Patch. Hey, Will. How are you doing? All good. Glad to be in a new city. After, Brand new city. Yeah, after two episodes of Rome, we have moved on to Kabul, which I realise I didn't actually say in the opening in the opening recording. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you guys wouldn't know what we were talking about. I guess you would have clicked on the episode, actually, so... It doesn't really matter. Yeah, they'll they'll understand this. It's just <laughs> us. I had no idea, despite the fact that I knew ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. So we're back again for a, a new a new pair of episodes on Kabul. I will go first this week, and then in two weeks' time, we'll have Patrick uh, telling us about another story on this incredibly diverse city. It's a really really interesting city, and one that we don't really get taught about that much unfortunately unless it's very modern politics i think that's what most people's appreciation of that city will be but obviously it has a much longer history than the last what five ten years oh yeah so there's so much there and it's really it's a shame that we don't learn more about it which is why we're really enjoying being able to research it and then share it with you guys absolutely and to let the you listener on in on a little secret Kabul in particular, well, the story I'm about to tell is actually, this is the third time I've tried to tell this story in a more concise way. (laughs) I tried to do it during uni. I chose to do it uh, as one of my specialist subjects. And then I tried to do it on on an earlier podcast. And both times they were just too long and a bit rubbish. But this time I feel like I finally honed it down and now it's, it's ready for 
ready for consumption. We hope. We hope. If, listener, you look at the, the track and it's two hours long, he's failed. <laughs> yeah, and actually, on that note, um, if you uh, even if you have any comments at all, please uh, put them in our review section wherever you're listening to us right now because we really do appreciate it. It helps us build uh, momentum and we just love hearing from you guys and getting suggestions and all that kind of cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And if you for some reason can't find the the rate and review thing you can message us on instagram at cloak and dagger podcast where you can reach out chat to us we love hearing from you guys it's really really great to see what you guys are talking about um and yeah and you can also check out the bonus content that we do around the episodes extra imagery that kind of fit really well with the episode you're listening to so you can flick through pictures of the city or the people we're talking about or there's sometimes some really great images we put on there that look that just really add a lot of value to the story. It really does, especially as I, I, and Patrick and I are quite visual learners. So whenever we're listening to podcasts like this, we like to see the the posts, the episode posts mm. of our podcasts. Um, so yeah, go check us out. And um, yeah, should we get on with it? Let's start. All right. So to kick us off uh, into this new city, uh, as always, we're going to have a quick history in a nutshell of Kabul. Is that what we're calling it? History in a nutshell? I'm not coining that. Don't worry. It's just what I call it in my notes. Oh, right. (laughs) I I haven't just like gone over your head and and named something on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, so uh, to talk about Kabul as a name, unlike lots of other cities, the actual name is the name of the founders, a bit like Washington, D.C., in America. Oh, or yeah. the founders. Yeah, so not two. so not like Alexandria. Or like Rome with Romulus. Oh yeah. Yeah. Or London. Mm. Bill London. Oh Bill London, yes, yeah, of course. Yeah, Bill London, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the the name Kabul comes from the founders of the Afghan race, who are religious mythological Sure. Characters. It's so hard to know, you know. It's a bit like Romulus and Remus. Yeah. It's quite hard for two people to found an entire people without being slightly more mythical. Quite, exactly. Uh, And these two people were called Kakul and Harbul. Wow. (laughs) What a great idea to name the city. (laughs) So they literally combine them into Kabul. So Kakul and Harbul. That's brilliant. It's like, so wait, are they a couple? Uh, no, they're brothers. Oh. They're the sons of Noah. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. So also interesting like Rome with two brothers. Two brothers, Twins? yeah. I'm not so sure on that one. I, mm. I'd have to read up on the Bible, which I haven't done. <laughs> That's quite extensive further reading. It the really Bible, will be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they're the sons of Noah. So we're talking really old. And that really does encapsulate how old Kabul actually is. Because it's, I mean, it, I don't know what our oldest city is. What is our oldest city? Do we know? The one we've done? Yeah. Or, um, ooh, which is our oldest city? When was Rome? Rome. 1500 BC? Rome. No, no, like 500 BC. 500 BC. Yeah, five, or maybe the older than that. But yeah, like not that old. But we've done uh, Cairo, which is pretty old. I swear we did this. We've discussed this before. We have. It must be. Oh, no, no, no. It's Baghdad. Baghdad. No, no, no. Baghdad's a new city, wasn't it? But Baghdad's it was built on Babylon and... Yeah, anyway, but, look. but built on is a, is, a, is, a, is a weird way to put it. I reckon it was probably like Cairo or something like, like that. Alexandria, maybe? No, because that was made by Alexander, who isn't actually that old. In the, like, compared to, like, you know, old kingdom Egypt. True, true, So true, true. I would say it was Cairo we did, right? God, we're really bad at this. We didn't do Cairo. Did we? Were there the? Oh, we didn't do it on Cairo, but we were in 
Maybe that was just the oldest episode. It was the oldest assassination. Which one was it? The your one, Blood in the Sand. That wasn't Cairo, was it? That's what I'm trying to think. What which which that was Giza. Was it Giza? That's pretty old. Yeah. Oh, anyway, whatever. The point is, <laughs> this is a bloody old city. Yeah. The earliest references that we have on the origins of the city come from one of the four Vedic texts, which are the holy texts of the Hindu religion. Mm. So like their version of the Old Testament. So that's how old we're talking. And it was written sometime between 1500 BCE and 2000 BCE. Right, so pretty effing old. So 4,000 years ago. Christ, that is... I mean, they're not far off Afghanistan from, you know, the era of cradle, cradle of civilization, that kind of era where the first big cities were being built. So I guess it's not that surprising. But it's quite far east for that, actually. I know. And I, I think one of the reasons, if you look at Kabul on a map, which we'll put up on on in the post, go, mm. go see us at Cloak and Dagger podcast, um, it actually sits at a perfect crossroads, the city. Yes. East, west, and north, south. Mm. So basically, as long as there have been trade, there will have been Kabul. Yes. In some form. I mean, that's that's... I guess that's the other, because we always talk about how like big cities are built on the coast or built by a river, which is normally the case. But also rivers of people is also super important. If you can be put in like a crossroad where lots of people will be passing through, it's sort of like no one chooses to build a city there. They just put a settlement there because lots of people are passing each other and they might want to trade. And then that grows into a city. Absolutely. And this is exactly what happened here. So it it does actually lie on in in the heart of the Kabul River Valley. So ah, Kabul nice. River is as old as, well, older, obviously, than Kabul City. Mm. Um, so it sits there and it's surrounded all, on all sides by mountains. Yes. And as I said, it's a crossroads for both north-south and east-to-west trade routes. To the east, you have China. To the west, you have Persia, which is now Iran. Mm-hmm. Um, to the south, you have India. And to the north, you have the countries of Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, Kazakhstan. And then above all of them, Russia. Yes. The empire of Russia ever pushing south. Hint, hint. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> no, no, that's not a Ukraine thing. This is a... <laughs> oh, oh, right. <laughs> but this is actually part of the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um. In fact, uh, I have a quote here from a poet from Hindustan who visited in the 15th century, and he said, uh, C.E., dine and drink in Kabul. It is mountain, desert, city, river, and all else. I also saw that quote, and I thought that was a brilliant quote, because it is amazing. I mean, it must have amazing views just because of the mountains all around it. Like, it's, it's really impressive, the landscape. It's literally just like, you know, kind of flat, normal Arab land, that kind of thing. And then just a massive mountain right next to it. It's really spectacular. It really is. And it made it defensible. And again, mm. like Rome, it's next to the river and hills. I mean, it's perfect. Yeah. The only thing it doesn't have that Rome had is sea, because it's obviously landlocked. Very landlocked. That's very true. And the thing about Kabul and the Kabul Valley is unlike lots of like the news you see about um, when, when the Afghan war was on, uh, it all looks very arid and mm. sort of desert-like. That is far more... It, it's a very diverse country, Afghanistan. Yeah. And the Kabul Valley is one of the most fertile pieces of the whole kingdom, mm. of the whole country, sorry. So that that's also why, because it could also rely on its arable farmland 
to supply a city. To support a city, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not... Because I think quite often, especially if you're listening in, in the UK, the UK-controlled Helmand province, which is in the desert part yes. of the country. So all of those news reports which showed, like, this huge desert, that's because that's just where the Brits were. Yeah, it, there's a real... We get a lot of that, and there's a lot of, like, perception issues you get, especially for Middle East and Central Asian countries, because of we just look at, look at them through the lens of our own politics and modern politics which tends to be not as great but that doesn't mean that's not what that what they were like throughout entire history i mean that's what we got with baghdad and i feel like it's the same thing with kabul these are amazing cities where you know cities only really exist in places where there is lots of life and lots of food and lots of plenty because you need all that to support a city so it, it it's kind of wrong to imagine these places as cities in like desolate wastelands or in you know, dunes of a like a of a desert, anything like that. It, these are really vibrant places. Yeah, hundred percent. And with that, let me take you through a very, very quick history of the city. Because oh my god, has it been like had so many conflicts? It's ridiculous <laughs> to try and keep up with it all. Well, if you are at a crossroad between north, south, east, and west, you're probably going to have quite a few conflicts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, various empires ruled it over the centuries. Kabul city itself. Uh, including the Achaemenid Persian Empire. On, uh, If anyone knows the story of Alexander the Great, his greatest rival was Darius the Great. Mm-hmm. And on Darius's tombstone, Kabul is listed as one of the 29 countries which he controlled. Wow. So that's how old... And at that point, it had been around for centuries already. Yeah. So this wow. wasn't even their old history, which and we don't know. And it got a list on his tombstone. He put a list on a tombstone of th- places he conquered. A hundred percent. That's yeah, such yeah. like a that great man of history kind of thing to do, isn't it? Just like, oh, leave it alone. I know. Um, then along came his rival, Alexander the Great, who conquered that whole empire and then took Kabul in about 330 BCE. And and then he settled many of his veterans in the area. So actually, there was quite a lot of Macedonian, Bulgarian, and Greek DNA heritage mm. in the Afghan uh, in the in the hill tribes of Afghanistan. Wow! Because they settled there, and you do get quite pale-skinned Afghan tribes, and they come from the Europeans who settled there after Alexander. Kind of Hellenistic, a little bit. Wow! Just a bit. I mean, the Greeks got around, didn't they? Oh, really? Did they? So, yeah. so there's a bit of there's a bit of them in everything. Absolutely. So after Alexander the Great passed through and then promptly died, uh, it was controlled by the Greeks and the Macedonians for roughly about 200 years before losing it themselves. Mm -hmm. And then from there, honestly, there came a string of empires and peoples who tried to control Kabul, because as you say, it's on a crossroads, it's in a lush valley with a big hill to defend it. I mean, why why wouldn't you want that? It's a great place to control, but it's also a very easy place to march an army to. Absolutely. Um, Just to really speed things along... Uh, the Islamic conquest finally reached up to Afghanistan. It started down in the uh, in in near where Mecca is today, so in Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. and it's been going up ever since. At that point, this spring of of Islam, sorry, the the Islamic spring kind of went all the way up from Mecca, all the way up, and eventually hit uh, Afghanistan in six four two CE. But it took two hundred years to convert just a portion of Kabul to Islam, because the thing about Afghanistan and Kabul is that Nothing changes unless 
the people want it to change and very rarely do they actually like things to change <laughs> so yeah it took a very long time for even a, a po- portion of islamic uh religion to have a mainstay in afghanistan mm, that's mad i know it's crazy this then led to another stream of conquerors including are you ready <clears throat> here we go the Samanids, the ghaznavids the gurids the khwarezmashars the karlugids and the kajilis and that is just the ones that I can find. Well done. That's a pretty good list. Thank you. And then came the Mongols. The Mongols. Wow. Yeah. Mongols come powering through in the 1200s um, and they annihilated the neighbouring valley of Bamiyan, which led to Kabul being reduced to a village simply because it affected the ecosystem and the trade just kind of wow. fell down. Wow. God, that's so... There's such like a like a pestilence. That's like a... Like a it's like a... They're a cataclysmic, cataclysmic event where just their presence in places causes this knock-on effect. So, so Kabul loses power because it destroys so much else that it's no longer an important place. Yeah, exactly. That's bizarre. It is bizarre. So then uh, after about 300 years of, of basically it being a village, along comes a guy called Baba who is like the founder of Afghanistan in lots of ways and lots of people still mention him. And as a result of him, what kind of... After he was long gone, what ha- what he left was what everyone was fighting over in the time period that I'm about to talk to, to you guys about ah, in the 19th century. So it evolved into something valuable again after the Mongols rather took that away. Yeah. It then builds itself back up into... Well, I mean, it can't help but be valuable, presumably, because of its location. No, but because... I guess so. But because everyone keeps conquering it, there's no time for growth. But then this guy Baba comes along and basically under him, the population size goes up to 60,000 and lots of the main great bazaars in the city are built. Which yes. are like, so, th- so that kind of left the infrastructure of it being like a, a proper city, like a proper capital city. Right, I see. Yeah, sort of yeah, yeah. There was enough time for it to grow into something a bit more substantial. Absolutely. Um, so speeding past all of that, we're now coming up to, we're very close to hitting where we're going to come in, which is about 1839. Sure. Um, but before we get there, there is something, for listeners who know about the War of the Roses in the UK, there was something quite similar going on in Afghanistan in the 1700s. Ooh, does yeah. it also have a flashy title? Uh, no, it doesn't. Ah, oh, so they're lacking the branding work. Yeah, and it is more brutal as well. Definitely more brutal than the War of the Roses. Um, sure. There were basically two powerful families. So, so far, it's a bit like the Yorkists and the Lancastrians. Love it. Uh, these two are called the Sadozai and the Baraksai. The Sadozai and the Baraksai. They're yeah. great names. They sound really like... The Baraksai especially sound really formidable. They do. And the thing is, um, the Sadozai, uh, they both are related. Okay. As a bit like the Yorkists and the Lancastrians. And they both are sort of um, laying claim to Baba, that guy who ah, set up the whole city. I see. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. they're like wanting to hold on to that glory. We are the true descendants. We are the inheritors of his legacy. Yeah. Absolutely. So the Sadozais were the, uh, the Shahs. So they were ruling the city of Kabul. Yeah. And then the Barakzais were their viziers. Ah, interesting. Which is so like a, the prime minister. Yeah, yeah. There's the there's the two levels. So it's it's a bit like the kind of Medici Patsy kind of scenario. You know, they were the 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 top dogs, 
and then the one step lower. It's always you've always got to be scared of the person who's one lower than you yeah. because they are all they can think of is getting to that top layer. And also because they both have royal blood in their, their veins, they can. So they've yeah. got they've got they've got legitimacy. The, yeah, the seconds have a right to rule as well. They're just not quite as powerful. Yeah, um, but as I say, they were definitely more. Uh, brutal, because quite often, um, whenever someone took power, be it a Sadozai or a Baraksai, mm-hmm. they would m- um, maim lots of their siblings. Oh, because I think it says in the Quran, and I, I've I've tried to verify this. Ah, I see. Yeah, they're not allowed. You, I think, um, it says that you can't rule if you can't see. It's something I can't, I'm definitely bastardizing. That, that that's not how it says, but basically, yeah. they took that literally. And so they wow. would blind lots of their brothers or even cut their tongues out. That's pretty... I mean, I mean, if it's just that they can't see, why cut their tongues out? I guess that would also... I mean, it feels like almost in any civilization, blinding your opponent probably would stop them being able to rule to a certain extent, hmm. especially if they're not already in power because you're not... There's just superstitions and you wouldn't trust that person will be able to rule. No, it's a bit exactly. harsh because they probably would be brilliant at it, but I get I can kind of see why that would work and it's but it's pretty rough. Odd that they just don't just kill them. Well, that's the thing. I don't think they're allowed to. I think killing kin kin is, oh, is like the of ultimate course, thing. They're so, you can't they're, do. they're so connected so that it's difficult. Yeah. Interesting. If you do that then you you're apostate. Right. So you had to be so careful, but you're allowed to maim a Kinslayer. Yeah. Yeah, Kinslayer. It's just like Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, so uh, to sort of speed us up to where we're gonna be, the final thing I'll tell you is this. The, the, so you had the Sadozai and the Baraksai. Mm-hmm. The Sadozai are the original Khans or Shahs and then the Baraksai are the Viziers. Right. In Around the 1780s, the Baraksai, so the Viziers, are on top. Mm-hmm. Okay? and But only just. So they've been like a coup by the Baraksais. Right, okay. So they've just kind of claimed power. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So the guy who's just come to the throne, the Baraksai, d- is just not doing a good job. So he's clearly like good at war and then has got into power and he's like, oh shit, how do I control all this? Yeah, okay. okay. So then the Sadozai see this and they just eat him for breakfast. Oh. And but the thing is, what what's different about this man is that he had none other than twenty six sons. Oh wow, <laughs> wow! So one of them's got to be good at something. Got to be good at ruling. But imagine twenty six men who have a vengeance over getting their father killed on the Sadozai. Yeah, that's a that's a rough situation. And trying to catch twenty six sons. I mean, that yeah. must be difficult to do. You yeah, know? I mean, yeah. If you want to wipe out a dynasty, I mean, just law of averages, a few of them are going to slip through the net. Like it's just it's a difficult thing to pull off. Exactly, exactly. So that sort of that sort of happens. Our story will take place in the following. What happened after that? So I'll right. stop the nutshell. We've gone from all the way back in prehistory. Up to roughly 1809. And you've got the Baraksai in power with the top dude and his 26 sons. Now, the Baraksai has just had its head chopped off. So the Sadozai are now in power. But the 26 sons are... Are now pissed pissed off. off. Right, I see. Yeah. Cool. Honestly... The, the Kabul timelines in this story are so <laughs> complex. This is why it's taken me so many times to try and get A lot this right. of moving parts, yeah. yeah. But I think all of the very difficult stuff is out of the way. So all you need to listen to now, listener, is that you've got the Sadozai in control, mm. the Baraksai pissed off, that whole clan is pissed off, and that's it. That's all you got. That's This is where our story will begin. It's really interesting because like, it, it feels very different to Rome because... You know, Rome obviously has lots of different periods and different parts of its history and it changes the way it rules. 
but it's still Roman the entire... It's one institution. The institution evolves, but it's one dynasty, one... Well, I suppose other than the kingdom, but it's like... One brand. It's one brand. It's one brand the entire way, whereas Kabul is completely different. Mm. It's changing brands all the time. It's the city kind of is eternal, but the rulers and the, the family that's controlling it changes who they consider themselves to be as well. It's not just you know, a single state that has a new face on it. It's something else all the time. Yeah. It's interesting. Absolutely, it is. So that's what's happening up in Afghanistan. But mm-hmm. as you guys probably heard in the opening, there were redcoats playing cricket in Kabul uh, at the beginning of the episode. So where do they come into a this Telltale thing? sign of... I mean, if a redcoat wasn't enough, the cricket was also a pretty telltale sign no, of... Absolutely. The British are there. Can you believe... And that was a real event. That happened. They were what, playing the cricket? cricket in Kabul. I'm not surprised at all. Of course, that's that's the one thing I think the Brits did everywhere. They just took cricket and they went, yeah, we don't have to learn any new sports. We'll just play our own sport in their streets. Yeah. And if they have, if they say anything about it, we've got guns and batons. So, so true. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so just to include this final little piece of this massively complex puzzle, mm-hmm. the British are controlling a vast amount of the Indian subcontinent, so modern-day India and and not quite Pakistan, actually, more than modern-day India a bit. Okay. Um, uh, basically by the British East India Company, which is like these cutthroat Christ. venture yeah. capitalist bastards. Yeah, the who- real, like, big capital, if there ever was, like, completely overpowered, monopolising most a good chunk of the world absolutely yeah um and so the british government would station troops in british india even though they didn't control it just to uh basically act as a deterrent from people attacking the british east india company so the company almost owned the government yeah and the army which is fascinating and obviously so wrong. But my lord, if anyone is interested, you should uh, read anything by William Dalrymple. Mm. He's a really good historian, and he but it reads doesn't read like history. It reads more like a novel, the way he writes. Nice. So William Dalrymple, there's all sorts of good books that he's written about the British East India Company and and our harsh critics as well. So <laughs> that's good. that's good. That's good. It'd be weird if it's pro. Which well, you I'm do sure get prob- jingoistic. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, you would get that scholars. like pro. Yeah, pro British Empire. Very nationalistic which is a bit exhausting to be honest but absolutely yeah um so the very tip of uh, the northernmost part of the british control was a tiny little village or sort of station called ludiana or ludiana which okay. is still there today it's still a tiny village so it never like got massive um and so northern india sort of yeah very northern india near the pakistani border right and the reason why the station was there was it was looking out like a big lookout lighthouse for anything coming. Because as I say... Anything from Central Asia. You, any, anything in that direction. Yeah, you know how they have like uh, telescopes looking out into space for like asteroids <laughs> coming to hit Earth? Right, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is their version of that. And instead of having telescopes, they have spies. So ah. Ludiana is a spy town. Ooh, it's a spy town. That's pretty cool. Really cool. All it's also like a place for like proper banditry. Think Wild West, but happening in northern India. That's right. every adventurer so is coming bit, through. Here. It's a bit lawless. It's kind of no man's land, and it's got and but a British presence, but not fully militarized presence. It's just spies and agents and completely on on, and they want it like that. Really? Because they want it porous. They want to learn what's coming through that border. Ah, interesting. They don't want to put up a front, like a wall that they can't see. They need to be able to see what's going on there. Exactly. So why would they be looking north like that, apart from perhaps looking for new lands to conquer? 
<laughs> I mean, I assume they know where most of the lands are and they pick the, the, the best ones. Ish, but actually we're not there yet where the British are sort of this... They are a dominant power, of course mm. they are, but they don't quite know what's over the hill. Really? Yeah, and the reason uh, I say that is the main character of this maps half of the route up to Afghanistan for the very first time. Well, I say the very first time. The very first time by a European. Right, I was going to say, there's probably plenty of maps ahead of time. But Yeah, exactly. So they just... I mean, there were maps... There would have been maps made by the locals, but I guess... Well, I don't think British general would wouldn't really care that much about that, would they? They would have a good British map. Yeah, a... but also maps were coveted. Really it's expensive and really, yeah, valuable. Because if you knew that, then it's data that you can use against the ah, people. That's very interesting. So they, so, but they kept it from the British. Yeah, well, Smart move. From everyone. It wouldn't mm. have just been... that You keep the maps of your land if you can. Mm. Um, but no, the reason why they're looking north is if you were to look north from India... All the way through the Hindu Kush, so through Afghanistan, through Uzbekistan, all the way north, mm-hmm. you hit Russia. Russia. Yeah. And Russia is heading south in this time period. Wow. With Interesting. Its, not just with its armies, but with its spies. So people talk about the Cold War. Mm. This was called the Great Game 200 years earlier. Wow, I see. So it's a kind of, but it's like a, a rush for gaining influence and territory. It's it's like the buffer states and well, stuff like that. I, I'm sure it's got a better name, but like the the rush for Africa. It's got it's got a better scramble phrase. for Africa. Scramble for Africa. That's what yeah. it is. It sounds like a scramble for Central Asia, that kind of thing. Like, and it's mainly these two big powers looking at this. Yeah, they're the only ones. So um, at this time, after the Battle of Waterloo in 1815. What you have is a century between the Battle of Waterloo and the outbreak of World War One called Pax Britannica, which is ah. literally the century for the British Empire, right. where they go absolutely crazy. We beat the French. There was no one else. There's no one that can stop us now. <laughs> no, there really wasn't. The only people who started to infringe on it was the Russian Empire. But even they, I mean, they, they come to blows in the Crimean War in the 1850s mm-hmm. and lose. Yeah. So then the Brits have even more of a, a claim to the whole world, so to speak. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, British paranoia, especially about their tea plantations and and their sugar plantations in India, is that the Russians are going to start incurring their troops, march them through the Hindu Kush, so through Afghanistan Mm. and into British India. And they are terrified of this. And I suppose it's not even just like the danger of Russia coming through, but Russia gaining influence on states that are right on their border. It's like a multi-steps ahead. They're like, well, even if Russia gets, you know, a little bit of influence in this state, they, they can maybe manipulate this state, and then that's right on our border, or that's right on the border of someone that's bordering us. Yeah. They're probably terrified, very paranoid. I mean, that's also, you know, big, tyrannical... World so, like, politics. Yeah, yeah, that's a bit like paranoia is a big part of when you're on the top. You Again, what we were saying earlier, when you're at the top... You're only looking at what that second person's doing because yeah. you're terrified they're going to knock you off your plinth. And honestly, you've only got to look at... Um, we're not going to talk about Ukraine, but it is a very good example of basically a power who's paranoid that another nation or group of nations mm. in the form of NATO is getting too much influence in the buffer state. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's that kind of focused attention on these little areas. Yeah. And it's really these massive... What are they, what are they saying? Massive super states just like eyeing each other from across the way but yeah. they don't they can't actually do anything direct so they just mess with everyone else absolutely so the british have an interest looking north Got that's it. the most important thing now the way that both russia and britain want to control afghanistan they don't want to take it over actually they mm-hmm. just want to control it by having a puppet basically yeah of course who is sympathetic to them mm-hmm. and as as they both know the baraksai and the sadozai 
families are going one, then another, then a coup, then another coup, counter coup, counter coup. So it's complete sure. madness up there. Hmm. But because the British are so, oh, what's the word? So superior in their thinking, hmm. they think that they can just control the whole situation. What they've just needed is a good cup of tea and a, and a game of cricket, and all would be fine. Wow! Yeah. Yeah, that's quite an arrogant point of view. Exactly. So, in Ludhiana Mm -hmm. is the exiled Sadozai claim to the throne of Kabul. Ooh, interesting. Okay. And his name is Shah Shuja. Shah Shuja. Remember the name. Yeah. He is a big part of this story. Is Shah his title? Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. But he, yeah. he also just took it as his... Uh, his name is very long. He's got like, like 16 names. Yeah, that, but he, that's... <laughs> but he's known as Shah Shuja. Yeah, fine, you can just use that. <laughs> yeah, so he's Sadozai. Mm-hmm. And the guy who took his throne was one of the 26 sons who were... His head had been chopped off. In Sorry, the guy who I mentioned earlier had, had his head chopped off, had 26 sons. And in the intervening years, there had been two more coups... Right, okay, so it's gone back and forth a few times. Yeah. But then one of those sons, one of the 26, is now currently in power. He is, called right. Dost Muhammad Khan. Dost Muhammad Khan. So you see, you got Shahs and Khans, because yeah. they're looking for a name. Mm. So the Khan is a Barakzai, and the Shah is a Sadozai. Is there, because Khan is also more Mongol. Mongol. Is one side more Mongol than the other? If one of them's calling themselves Khan and one of them's calling themselves Shah? I think, I don't think so. It looks like those names are actually linked to the families. So oh, okay. maybe way back, the Baraksai did have a Mongolian connection somehow. Yeah. I don't know. And the Sadozai were more Persianate because Shah is a Persian word. Yeah. So, so there's something there. There is something there. But whatever, because this is the thing, it's such a hodgepodge of different like different cultures pushing in at the sides. It's so hard to know. But Dost Muhammad Khan is the current ruler of Afghanistan. Okay. Okay. And he's controlling it with like four of his 26 brothers holding various regions of, of Afghanistan. But he holds Kabul. Right. Okay. And Kabul is the center of power. So Dost Muhammad Khan doing a really quite a good job. Oh, nice. Shah Shuja is laying, he's languishing, sorry, in Ludhiana in mm. a private little palace, which on a, on a state pension for the British. <laughs> oh, wow. God, that is such like a Western move to be like protecting and like giving comfort to these exiled rulers so that we could go, you know, maybe they're, they're a pretty good person to send in because they kind of like us quite a lot. Exactly. And yeah. that's exactly what has happened here. Mm. Shah Shuja, by the way, is known, um, one visitor to this palace noticed that all of his servants had missing earlobes, nostrils, and also other body parts, which oh. we won't mention, oh. because apparently he was a sadistic fuck. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. So. What a great guy for the British Empire to prop up. God, they really don't have standards, do they? I know. That's really fucked. I so know. So he was just a bit grim and just tortured people, chopped bits off. That's so medieval. Well, like, this is the thing. This world is medieval up there. Because mm. it is still, in terms of the fact that they haven't um, industrialized, this is a pre-industrial state. Oh, I see. So it is still, in the, in that sort of way, medieval. Um, so anyway, so you've got... That's, that, that's what's happened. You've got Dost Muhammad Khan... Ruling with his brothers, they're the Baraksais, mm-hmm. who were the viziers, and the yeah. Sadozai claimant is Shah Shuja, who's on a state pension living in Ludhiana on the edge of the British Raj. Yeah. Okay? Chopping bits off. Chopping bits off willy-nilly. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> okay. So, um, the Brits want to... They're getting really scared. 
right? They're getting yeah. scared because they're hearing that the Russians are sending some of their top agents mm. down through the Uzbekistan and Tajikistan and Turkmenistan area mm-hmm. into into the Hindu Kush, which is the yeah. mountain range which uh, yeah. Kabul sits in. And so they need someone to send themselves. And okay. the man they choose is called Alexander Burns. Right. Great name. I know. He's a Scotsman. Nice. And he is the nephew of Robbie Burns, of Burns Night fame. No way. Yeah. Wow. He's, yeah, so he's he's from a sort of fairly well-to-do family. Clearly, yeah. But not like... It's, like he, Scot- it's almost Scottish royalty, really. It's Scottish cultural royalty, but yeah. he's not actually from, like, one of the Lord yeah, yeah, landed yeah, yeah. gentry. Well, he is landed gentry, mm. but he's minor, minor gentry. Mm. And the thing about him is he is the fourth son. Okay. So, so he's not inheriting anything. Yeah, not that important, but not kind at of all. free to do what he wants. Well, normally they'd send you to the church, but he chose the British East India Company. So yeah, <laughs> choose what, your What is it? Because yeah, first inherits, seconds the spare, third is war, and then the fourth. And fourth is religion. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Something, Something like, like that. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so he decides that he's going to join the British East India Company and joins at the age of 16 and heads straight for India. Classic. Yeah. That is very like, you know, fourth son. No chance of inheriting. I need to make my own money. A hundred percent. And the East India Company is pretty good at making money. Absolutely. So yeah, by 1826, he was made into a company agent. That's literally what he was known as. Oh, man, they're so weird. They're just they're just not a company. They're just a like their own state in themselves. They have their own agents. I know. I they're know. their own agency. They're their own MI5, probably. So yeah, okay. The British East India Company is definitely doesn't need its defenders. No. But you've got to remember at the time. There's lots of theories about economic theories that were coming out. So we look backwards and go, oh, my God, they were terrible. But they were also kind of pioneering in yeah. the economic world, which obviously has very few morals, because that's the point. It's all numbers and profit. Yeah. But it is interesting from a purely economic history level to study. And I've got friends who found it fascinating to look into. Yeah, no, it is, they're very interesting. I mean, it is, it's the beginning of kind of capitalism and this moving away from these very old-fashioned feudal states, which are obviously pretty bad as well. Mm. And yeah, it's it's a big ask for people back then to, you know, have the morality we have nowadays in terms of like social economics and stuff like that, because they just, that was far beyond them. And they're coming from a much more medieval point of view. 100%. And this is at least some, anyone can make money. You know, you still make money and then crush everyone else, but at least that's anyone instead of someone who's just born to rule. So it's a bit better. Yeah. Still pretty fucked, but yeah. As I say, we're not defending it. It's just an interesting, it's a fascinating bit of history if you can, it's so hard to detach it from morals, but it is interesting if you do that. Anyway, Burns gets out to India, becomes a company agent. Mm -hmm. And because of the way, well, because he's basically a white bloke, he (laughs) is able to do what he wants, pretty much. Wow. Out out in India. And he decides that he wants to make an epic journey north from Ludhiana Right. All the way as far, basically, due north you can go until you hit Russia. Wow. That's his plan. Just to go on an adventure? No, he was going to, like, take notes of, like, uh, he's going to map, map the route. Mm. And he was going to, like, do sort of, uh, like, a geography teacher would. Kind sure. of meet the different tribes, work out who says well, it's what. kind of an explorer. Yeah. Uh, sort of. This is the this is the quintessential thing about Ludhiana. It's full of adventurers. He's uh, one of them. It's it's a frontier town. It is a frontier town. Even though the frontier is between one frontier and Europe on the other side, but it is this area which no one has really 
no one has Europeans, no one western has not yeah. really dared or, to enter or very few have yeah yeah so he goes on this huge journey which takes him uh, he actually goes all the way to kabul and meets dos muhammad khan oh wow and he sends back positive vibes about him so positive vibes yeah he says he's a good, good dude guy. good dude yeah. loved him yeah. and also he's pro british according oh, to Burl. so interesting. it's like oh, okay this is good this is good news how does Shah feel about that that the Shah doesn't know shit I guess but yeah 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 Britain's probably thinking great we got both of them if either whoever wins will probably be pretty good well quite so it all looks pretty good he goes all the way north to into Turkmenistan to modern day Uzbekistan to a mm-hmm. place called Bukhara which is the current capital of Uzbekistan oh, nice. and then he basically turns around and walks all the way back and gets all on a ship and goes back to Britain publishes his works which are a sensation like talk about going viral Mm. he gets known as bakara burns the expert of afghanistan (laughs) bakara burns bakara burns oh my god and he's i love how he went on one gap here yeah where he went on one trip and he's the smartest person he is the authority on afghanistan not an afghani person but Bakara Burns, some Scottish bloke with a bit of renown, with a good last name. Absolutely, that's, I know. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so he wined and dined his way around a book tour, basically, in Britain, mm. and then gets sent back to the East India Company because they want to their company agent back because they want to... Oh, so he's, he's not quit. He's still, oh, no, 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 he's still, no, no. He's still on company pay. A hundred percent, yeah. And right. the thing is, now he gets knighted for that. So he Christ, becomes yeah. Sir Alexander Burns. Sir Alexander Burns. Yeah, so he's Robert Burns well. knighted. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we would know him as Sir. Yeah. No, I think it seems quite and it seems quite English to be honest. Maybe maybe he was, and actually they don't mention it, but maybe that's interesting. So anyway, yeah. So he's out. So he's back in uh, in the British Raj. But who are they going to send north to keep an eye on Dos Muhammad Khan? But Alexander the Burns, oh, right? I see. So they're now like, oh, we need Mister Afghan himself. <laughs> yes, exactly. Go north. Go keep tabs and be our man in Kabul. Right. In, in air quotes. Yeah. I realised I was doing air quotes, and yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. you can't you see it that. You furiously at me, so it may have come across <laughs> on the mic. <laughs> you can hear the waves. Yeah, yeah. Through. Um, so they send him north, and he is met... Uh, he was sort of generously met by Dos Muhammad Khan, because mm. the, the thing about... Um, the Afghan at the Afghan culture is yes, they are brutal, mm-hmm. but they're also a gift-giving society. Yeah, so you have to lavish both your guests and the guests lavish you back. Guest right yeah. is very important to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he is set up in a lavish house inside the royal compound called the Bala Hissar, mm. which is the main fortification. Yeah. At the top of Af- of Kabul, like right by the uh, right by the mountain part of Kabul, mm-hmm. um, and it's impregnable. It's it is the place which can just be shut off from so the rest re- of the city. It's a massive honor to be placed there. Yeah. Did exactly. Alexander bring anything? A signed copy of his book, for instance. <laughs> uh, I possibly. bet he did. I bet he did. I, bet. I know he definitely. Would bought... you love to learn about Afghanistan? Here, read my book. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he bought lots of British uh, armaments. Oh, there you go. And that's one thing we to say. Well. Like, here you are. Here, here's this is this is what we can give you. <laughs> thank you for thank you for this wonderful home. Thank you for this lovely food. Here, have a gun. Exactly, exactly. Um, and they obviously were fascinated by him as well because he's from far off Scotland. Not many Afghanis had been to Scotland at this point, if any, at this stage. Mm. So they had lots to talk about, um, and they seemed to get on on a personal level. Oh. So all looking good so far for the British, especially. Okay, and Burns is there living it large, basically. Right. Okay, on the company dime and also the sh- the Khan's dime as well. So he's like double incoming. Wow, yeah, he's doing very well. Exactly. 
So after a few months of being up in, in Kabul, Burns is very happy and he thinks that uh, Dost Mohammed Khan is totally pro-British. Who are the Russians anyway? We're all good. Yeah, yeah. Right? Nothing to worry about. So he sends back a full report. Right. Which lands on the desk of his superior officer, a man called McNatton. McNatton. Also Scottish? Also Scottish. Nice. This guy is a total bellend. <laughs> okay. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Oh, God, I really don't like this man. Anyway, he was the senior diplomat in Ludhiana. Okay. And he had the ear to the British East India Company and the British government. So ah, okay. So he's... Is he part of the East India Company? They all are. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. But, he's, but is he like officially an officer? He's officially part of the British Army or British... He is, but he's like one of those people who buys a commission and never serves in it. So he's right. basically, he's a diplomat to his core. So he's a corrupt, white, pot-bellied, like wearing a suit in the hottest weather. Moustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he has a moustache. He has Complaining about the locals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and having disregard for anyone who isn't British. Right, okay. This is the guy. I think I can picture that sort of person. <laughs> I think it's quite easy to imagine that. And his name is McNatton. McNatton. Okay? So he receives this positive report, right? But the thing about McNatton is he likes Shashuja. Oh. Sadozai man in the, Ludiana. The the guy who cuts people up. Yes, and I think chances are that he was bribed by Shah Shuja. Because Shah Shuja's got tons of money. Oh, I see. But so he, he's he's supported. Oh, that's so interesting to see it going the other way as well. That these two people who want to be supported by the British, but would also bribe some of the officials to get that support, to, yeah. to get a favourable report sent. This is the thing. So Burns has done a really good job. He's made really good amends with Dost Mohammed Khan, the, mm-hmm. the Baraksai ruler. And then he sends it back to his boss, and the boss basically shits on it. Oh, really? Because he's like, well, no, this is a terrible idea. This guy... This guy is the guy we want. Yeah, exactly. And this is what leads to a total calamity. Mm. So let's get into what happens. So Dost Muhammad basically said uh, to to Burns, oh, so can we become like fully allied allied with the British? Mm-hmm. I want a formal alliance. Ah, oh, okay. Let's do it. Let's right seal way. the deal. Yeah, exactly. Let's get, in bed. Let's, in... let's get into bed together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Stop yeah. flirting around. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. get Stop on with the foreplay. business. Yeah. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, because of the work of McNatton, basically this won't happen because the British commander, Lord Auckland, who is the top, top boss, mm-hmm. sent a, a letter saying, we need, we demand your total submission or we're going to kick you off your throne. Oh, I see. Because McNatton sent this report, they go, well, the only reason we'll go with this guy is if it's complete capitulation, they give us everything we want. Otherwise, we've got this other guy who we can probably manipulate to do a better job. Yes, but the problem is, the thing that I always get to on this is they've got a ruler who is controlling Afghanistan well, yeah. a place which is notoriously hard to control, Yeah, who actually likes you Yeah, and wants to be a full paid-up ally... That's just... And the Brits go, you know what? Nah. 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 Nah, nah. Give us more. We want more. God. Give us more might be the unofficial slogan of... What did you call it? Pax Britannica. Pax Britannica, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I would say that's, you know, that kind of fits well. He also, in the same letter, which was kind of half written by McNatton, said that under any circumstances was he not... Sorry, under no circumstances was he allowed to speak to Russian diplomats. 
right in any way okay which and is yeah just super controlling yeah and the thing is that the, the, the khan wasn't even talking to russians at this point but as soon as he read that he went well fuck you this is that this has suddenly sounded quite like a bitchy conversation because this is like a, a, a like an um what's an abusive boyfriend yeah you know no you can't speak to anyone it's checking phones and getting some getting a girlfriend to delete all male numbers from their phones like tell me all the russians you know and you can't talk to them anymore <laughs> absolutely yeah so Dostman Makan, who hadn't been cheating on the Brits in any no. way, starts to, you know, starts to sort of think, well, Good for her. I you. mean, good for him. <laughs> yeah. So there is a man called Captain Vitkovich Ooh. of the Russian Empire. Do we like him? Oh, he is flamboyant. Oh, good. I'm signs. <laughs> he's great, actually. I, I mean, really you know, like obviously, him. Obviously, two sides, every every battle, not everyone's great. There are no good guys, bad guys. But we've got a lot of bad guys on one side, so it's fun when there's a good guy Absolutely. on the other Absolutely. Um, so, Vitkovich is on the scene right. in Kabul. Oh. And he had been for a while, but he then is lavishly entertained in oh. public by Dost Mohammed Khan after receiving this letter. Oh, Dost Mohammed Khan, love that. What a, what a great comeback. Yeah, it's like, excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry, who the fuck are you? What, yeah, what a power move. Yeah. yeah. And also, the, he he's up in his stronghold mm. and Afghanistan's controlled by all his brothers mm. who are on his side. Why would he be scared of the British? Because he doesn't really know the full extent of the British. Does he know about the Shah? About his rival. Oh, of course he does. Oh, so he does know that is a threat, but I guess he's so he's entrenched. Like, like, like yeah. this is, that, that guy's never been a threat. No, yeah. exactly. He was a shit ruler anyway, because he yeah. was a ruler for a little while and they hated him, so they kicked him out. Shah Shuja is not a popular man in Afghanistan. Right. Ever. Mm. Ever. Dost Muhammad Khan was. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so because of this, because they hear, well, because Burns then sends back saying, look what you've done, you idiots. Now we've got Captain Vitkovich talking to the Muhammad Khan. We are now, actually now we're in a problem because mm. now the, the Russians may well come south and yeah. use their influence. So, God, I just feel so annoyed just telling this story. <laughs> it's fine. It happened 200 years ago. You don't need to get worked up. I know. But so what happens is Burns leaves the city of Kabul. And right. goes south because he's no longer welcome. Oh, interesting. So it comes back to him as well. The well, Khan is I think he's like, also recalled. Right. Like, okay. So he's not in a great situation either side. So no. from, from from going from both sides paying him huge amounts of money to just chill out in Kabul and have a great time, suddenly the Khan doesn't like him anymore because he doesn't like British people. And now his superiors are like, why are you pressing this guy? We obviously like the guy who cuts people up. Absolutely. How exactly. did you not expect us to side with this absolute lunatic? So, to to be clear, in December 1838, the Brits decide to send the Bengal Army, which is ridiculous because it was the British Army, but they Classic. called it the Bengal Army, the occupation force that's sitting in Bengal, <laughs> right, north into the Hindu Kush. Yeah, it's a lot less exciting. Like when you hear Bengal, you think some really like awesome Indian fighters, but no, it's just the Brits, the Brits, and also their their British Indian uh, conscripts. Oh, I suppose so. so it is a it is a combined still force. not quite as cool. No, but. of course not. So, um, going north, they have brought with them nine thousand five hundred troops. Wow, thirty eight thousand camp followers. <laughs> For what? nine thousand five hundred troops. So for every, every well, who's going to serve the tea? Obviously, <laughs> honestly, and thirty thousand camels, two thousand of which are carrying cigars. <laughs> I'm not oh joking. My God. Cigars and brandy oh. in the camel train. God, 
what a waste of just time and energy and oh i know i know so they're basically going north with Shashuja in tail mm-hmm. this the, the guy who was in ludiana and they're going to install him as a puppet so they're just fully invading oh, afghanistan 100%. and kabul yeah absolutely and pretty much unprovoked yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh that's uh, again very uh, like manipulative boyfriend you know going to the nuclear level at the hint of your girlfriend speaking to someone else when it's entirely your fault they did that because of your ridiculous paranoia yeah 100 percent. what a their metaphor is really working in this i know i'm loving the metaphor i never thought of it that way but it's so true it's really it really fits so masculinity exactly so after the thing is about the brits is they're very good at conquering okay and even afghanistan which is really difficult to to conquer as we know in modern times Mm -hmm. they actually do a really good job and in nine months with very few casualties they've they've entered kabul are they quite technologically superior they are but in a really kind of cool way the british engineering corps Ah, are yes. fucking sick at building bridges mm. and also undermining huge fortifications because of course they're still as we say medieval in yeah. terms of a society in terms of they've got massive walls they're castles essentially yeah and you've got these british engineers who are finding ingenious ways of getting into them ah i see so they managed to like sort of sneak their way right so it's cle- clever it's clever clever movement and also like logistics because it's now these like huge armies and that's always been like a big deal in most armies of like um like the logistical considerations are pretty much as important, if not even a little bit more important than the kind of tactics and strategy. Yeah. And I guess that's what the British are very good at at this point because they've been doing it for so long and that it's these are professional, prof- kind of professional soldiers. No, no, they are. They are. So it's, you know, they, they're, they're very well established here. In drill as well. Like they're, yeah. they're disciplined men mostly. Anyway, so they get all the way into Kabul and before um, they get to Kabul, Dost Muhammad Khan leaves Kabul and rushes off into the hills. Wow. So he just flees because he's... I mean, I guess... in the, in the He, he watched, really basically, there's another fortress before Kabul called Ghazni. Ghazni has never been conquered until the Brits turn up. Wow. So as soon as it fell, and they took like 17 casualties, right? They, I think yeah. Dost Mahalo went, okay, <laughs> I don't know what's coming over that hill, but yeah. I am, if Ghazni's fallen that quickly, I need to get out of Dodge and like organise resistance or do something else. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So, so they get into Kabul, right? Huge parade ceremony. Oh God! Shashuja is there, and no one gives a shit. So he yeah. gets crowned, and none of the locals turn up. Well, why never would a they? good sign. Yeah. Never a good sign. <laughs> if you think yeah. about it. Um, and also, they lavish themselves with gifts. So um, McNatton, they lavish themselves with gifts. Yeah, McNatton becomes a lieutenant colonel of the British East India Company. He gets a massive promotion. Nice. Um, and then. Uh, Burns is there too. Burns wants to become the diplomat, the ambassador. So he's kind of swapped back to... Well, he's always been a Brit. I mean, he's, on, he's under orders, so, like, it's not... And I also, he's also um, he's also just trying to get what he can out of... He's a, he's a British East India man. He's there for himself, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, he 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 was there originally to manipulate and to, to control anyway. He was just a bit more tactful in doing it. Yeah. So, so but he still wants to get something out of this. Yeah, so he wants to become the British ambassador for Kabul, right? Mm-hmm. But actually McNatton gets that job. His his boss gets it. Of course. And yeah, yeah. his boss also so McNatton I said got a, a colonelcy. He also became a baronet 
he was given a wow. baronetcy for the victory. Is that a peerage? It is. Well? Yeah, so, yeah, it is. He's in the peerage. As wow. Baronet. So that's a pretty big deal. And then Lord Auckland, who was the guy who was in charge of the whole thing, mm-hmm. has been made an earl. Wow. <laughs> so they're all moving up the ranks. They literally are. It's literally like watching everyone self-congratulating, right? Yeah. <laughs> they're so, so pleased with themselves. Yeah. So what they do is they install Shah Shuja in the Bala Hissar fortress, mm-hmm. and then they make the biggest... Cate- we talked about logistics. Most stupid, stupid decision ever. Wow. Let me try and think. Let me try and think. What could, what could they do? So they've taken the city. They've got everything they want, mm-hmm. and they don't. Do, and they they make a massive error here. What would they do? It's to do with the placement of where they put their troops. They put them just outside, around the corner, out of sight. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Jesus. They set up a makeshift camp. Not in the city of Kabul, out on the plain outside the city, surrounded by hills. Oh, not on, on the hills. Classic, yeah. In the Great dip. Move. In the dip. Well, so you how know, are you meant to defend? Sometimes the sun rises quite quickly. It's nice to have a bit of shade. It's you know, it gets hot or cold. You know, maybe a bit of insulation. But it really screams of British uh, sort of obstinacy and sort of just arrogance. Yeah, we've done everything. We've cleared off. <laughs> Afghanistan is ours and it will remain ours forever. Although I do wonder whether there's a consideration also to not fill this newly, you know, from the Shah's point of view, not have his newly claimed city, you know, filled up with foreign soldiers. Possibly. There might, there might be a certain element that he wants to still be seen as allied to the British, not under the British rule. Whereas if it's a military occupation, it kind of looks different. And had they thought about it and done it the way that, that you're saying Shah Shuja wouldn't want, mm-hmm. maybe this next bit wouldn't have happened. Because Shah Shuja, once he gets into the palace, goes on a complete vengeance spree the likes of which even Kabul hasn't seen in a century. Because this is the guy who lops off ears, right? This is the torturer. He this has a very, Ramsey very... Bolton. Everyone has a little black black book. He has a <laughs> fucking tome of vengeance. Oh. To... I mean, he's just been stewing and, like, thinking about his vengeance for many years, presumably. Like, you know, there's nothing else for him to do. It's not like he's left and gone set up somewhere else. He's just been stewing yeah. and probably fed by the British... You know, talking about oh, like one day you will retake your. Th-. It's like um, I'm bringing. I keep mentioning Game of Thrones, but like Viserys at the beginning, like, yeah. This constant, like, yes, you will return. It, like exiled rulers, all they do is just sit around and think. One day I will take my revenge, and then when they get it and get it without any losses and without that much effort on their own on their own back, I'm not surprised he goes a bit ham. But he goes too ham. He goes too... Well, he, anything, Kab- any ham would be too bad. It would. But, yeah. But Kabul starts to grow in anger, right? Good. And the thing is, the, the army, which is meant to be keeping order, is miles away, four miles outside the city. Oh, I see. But Burns, Alexander Burns, is has basically set up shop in a new compound with his brother, who's mm. there, uh, who's a military officer, actually. Yeah. And uh, and is putting on every party going. So suddenly, oh, he, his weekly dinners became legendary as the high point of the social calendar each week. So Jesus. He was, he was he was just buku bucks, just like spending money, having lots of orgies as well, apparently. Oh, my sleeping God. Sleeping with as many local women as he can. Oh, my God. Yeah. Great way to piss off a city. Well, tell me about it. So that's what he was doing, right? And uh, his last uh, entry in his diary reads this. What will this day bring forth? Oh, God. <laughs> it will make or mar me, oh. I suppose. 
Before the sun sets, I will know whether I go to Europe or succeed McNatton. Wow, those are his two options. Those, that's the only thing he can see in his future. Yeah, so can he beat his boss to the, the top thing as the ambassador of, to Kabul? Mm. Or is he going to go to Europe because he's not going any higher? God, I wonder which one it's going to be. But that's the last entry because what happened at the beginning, the man in white who was killed by a mob was ah. Alexander Burns. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, and his brother was the man who ran out with the with the sword and killed six of them. Oh, and wow. And then he was brutally beaten to oh god yeah. See, this is why you don't have a diary because then you can't write you know painfully ironic starts to your day that ends really badly like you just need to it's it's you know it's tempting fate to start like that absolutely but the yeah. thing is he's got literary in his blood because his uncle is robbie burns yeah so he's <laughs> clearly got yeah, all yeah. of that in him anyway so that's the end of alexander burns alexander burns is brutally butchered wow because he he became the sort of the embodiment, the embodiment of, of the British occupation. Which is a shame because actually he's not, presumably he's not the one making all these decisions no. to, to, to put the guy in charge. He was happy to stick with the guy everyone liked. Absolutely. But then, you know, I guess kind but of he's also, up at the end by running up, having a bunch of orgies and like, he's still the embodiment. He's still British and he's still part of this system. And then... But he's a weirdly tragic figure somehow. He's a weird mixture, this man. I mean, there's all sorts of parts to him. But anyway, so mm. he's dead, right? Oh. And the thing is, that was the spark right. which lit the biggest tinderbox in the whole country of Afghanistan. Wow. So suddenly, Shah Shuja hears all this going on up in the Balahisar. Mm-hmm. You know what he does? He closes the gates of the Balakasar oh, and wow. just basically sits it out. He just nopes it. Yeah. Wow. But I'm talking a full city uprising. Yeah. Th- tens of thousands mob starts to converge on the British camp, which is uh, in a terribly difficult place to defend, right? And they're probably, they probably don't have lookouts looking towards the city. They're just like watching out for to see if the Khan comes back. Absolutely. Or just having tea and doing nothing. Uh, in the meantime, by the way, they are also sent back about half of their British, of the army, back down to Bengal. Ah, but they don't need it anymore, do they? Exactly. Why would they need it? So of the 9,500 men and the 38,000 camp followers, mm-hmm. so what's that? What's That's like almost 50,000 people. Mm-hmm. There's now only 15,000 troops and women left. Wow. What about the camels? Camp. What about cigars? They probably kept all the cigars. <laughs> I imagine they kept the cigars and ate yeah. the camels. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so they're all there. And it was really poorly built, and they actually began to starve because they're surrounded by this huge force of Afghan anger. Oh, so they're not immediately wiped out. They're just kind of surrounded, and what? they go, well, what are we going to do? March up a hill against an army, that, a mob that's bigger than us. Yeah, well, this is the problem. It doesn't matter how much gunpowder you have, really. They yeah. don't really have much artillery, so yeah. they're just troops, right? And they've, they're surrounded by a mob. Um, and the guy in charge was a guy called... So the guy who became an earl, went back down to to India with the rest of the troops. Right, okay. The guy he left was a was a veteran of the Battle of Waterloo, which had happened 30 years earlier. Right. Right. The guy is old. Yeah. And he's called George, sorry, General William Elphinston, and he was both very old, completely infirm and incapable of making a decision. But because he was the the highest ranking officer, they all like you know you have to listen to him it's so it just sounds so very pompous and british and you know not being able to appreciate changing situations and just it's a wonder the the british empire did so well with this kind of thinking well, this is the thing this is one they really dropped the ball on yeah so what happens is right they finally get mcnatton is still in the camp so mcnatton's fine right mm-hmm. the the 
the biggest dick in the whole thing. McNaughton is fine. And McNaughton's not in charge at all, but he is just like the chief diplomat. He's to the a senior s- diplomat. The senior diplomat to a city that now hates him. Yeah, but he's kind of the biggest political animal in he's the target in the in in the camps. So now you've got Burns General Elphinstone yeah. and you've got McNaughton. Yeah. McNaughton goes right. I think I can make a deal with uh with the Afghans. Of course he can. So he says, right, I'm going to get together some of my uh, British pals in uniform. Let's go up to the city and he tries to strike a deal with Akbar Khan who is the son of Dost Muhammad Khan. Ah, interesting. So it's it has now shifted entirely back. They've got a new leader as well. It's not just mob rule. No, Dost Muhammad is about to come out of retirement. Oh, here we go. In. So so what happens is he goes to meet Akbar Khan by the Kabul River and all was going well. Until uh, Akbar gave a signal and has all of the army officers who uh, McNaughton came with butchered in front of him with axes. Wow. So here's this guy, McNaughton's yeah, like, oh, so no, confident. we can strike a deal. Yeah. And then he gets, so that happens. And then, um, before this had happened, McNaughton had gifted, in air quotes, a tiny pair of pistols in like a box to Akbar Khan. But this is such a this is almost an insult because it's so small. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So apparently Akbar Khan loaded one of them mm. and executes uh McNaughton with the own with the pistol that he was oh, given. Oh god. And they put his head on a spike above the city gates. Wow. So in very front, medieval. Exactly. And the encampment can see this. This causes mayhem to break out. Well, yeah. And so what happens? The <laughs> the British start to try and f- do a fighting retreat mm-hmm. back to India. From Jeez. Afghanistan. Think how far that is. It's a long way, and they're currently surra- surrounded and in a valley, in a little dip. Absolutely. So they start to move, and they're mm. given free passage, in air quotes, by the uh, the Afghans, apparently. Mm-hmm. right? But as soon as they're out of sight of Kabul, the city, all those tribes, which had been controlled so well by Dost Muhammad, uh, were now like in their own... Their own, they're in their own war. You know, they have their own territories and yeah. none of them are listening to their no. overlords. So they pick apart the British all the way back to India. Oh, man. And it comes to a head in the Khyber Pass. Oh, wow. And in the Khyber Pass, they are butchered Oof. to the point, like, think Tutabug Forest. Yeah. Like that, but for the Brits. Wow. And they are killed to a man mm. and woman. Yeah. One man. <gasps> survives. One guy. And his name was Dr. Bryden, and he managed to escape to tell the tale. And he was, of the 15,000 who had en- who'd left Kabul, he was the one survivor. Jeez. And he just got back on a dead horse almost. Oh my God. Anyway, what so... horrible experience. But like, that's... It's interesting, yeah. So suddenly, like, you know, they've taken over this place, they're in charge, they leave a force, and then in an evening the entire country becomes enemy territory and they start fleeing. Absolutely. Oh, terrible. Um, and, and so what happened, you might ask, to Shah Shuja? So Shah I Shuja, was going to say, yeah, he was locked up and he was fine. Yeah, yeah, so he was up there feeling fine. And before, Dost Muhammad's not back yet. You know, mm. he's still he's still in the hills. But his so son's there. His son's around, but he's like in charge of trying to kill off the Brits. As they yeah, that's the, the, that's the threat. That's yeah. the worst thing, yeah. So he kind of goes, okay, uh, he, I think he's in there for like two, no, he is, he's in there for two months. Wow. And, and f- got supplies. And this is a complex. So it's not just a, a building. It's yeah, like yeah. you have, they probably had its own bakery. And it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They, they're fully, fully stocked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so two months later, he finally leaves it, his fortress, to do a troop review on parade. He still thinks he's in charge. Well, because no one's told him otherwise. <laughs> and, and so he, sure, he sure. literally seats himself on a throne 
right? And watches his men marching past. You can imagine it, right? His men. Well, right. There's air quotes there. And he was shot through the head by his own godson. Oh, what? His yep. own godson? His godson. I don't know why it was his godson, but his godson shoots him through the head and he strips his godfather of his jewels and then kicks him into a ditch. Wow. And that's how Shah Shuja, that's the end of Shah Shuja. God, they all come to a pretty awful end. Yep. And then what about old Dost Muhammad? Yeah. So Dost Muhammad then, it turns out he had fled into the hills and then gone to Ludhiana (gasps) and got a pension from the British Raj again, just how Shah Shuja had. He's like traded places. Really? Yep. He was there, not for very long. Yeah. But he was there. So he was there. Oh, I see that he was there while. Uh, the British were in control, yeah. but then presumably got out of Dodge before his son and his city revolted against the British. News doesn't travel that fast. Oh, wow. So he didn't know that was happening. So, wh- so-, so, so while the followers of the Khan and his son were butchering uh, McNaughton and his men and then just hunting the British down and chasing them out of their city to a man... Dos Mohammed Khan is just, you know, sipping tea under the, the British pay. Yeah, that's entirely. A, that's a baller move. I, I know, right? And th- so then we know what happens. He goes back up there, reinstalls himself as as king of Afghanistan, and whatever, it. and he rules for 20 years and oh even expanded the kingdom's territories. What a move. I know. And the Russians never really got that far anyway. Really? So it was all for fucking nothing. <laughs> this is the problem. The wow. whole thing is for nothing. And I'm going to finish this, because I know it's been a long one. So I'm going to finish this on a quote from Rudyard Kipling. Okay, great. Okay. When you're wounded and left on Afghanistan's plains, and the women come out to cut up what remains, just roll to your rifle and blow out your brains and go to your god like a soldier. Wow. Because that's the best you can that's do. all you can hope for. If you're up in Afghanistan. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is a spectacular catastrophe for the British. That is awful. That's what it's probably the one of the worst like British defeats things, defeats I've ever seen, especially to and it's great the fact that you have the British Empire and the Russian Empire kind of working out okay, who's going to hold sway, who's going to do this and they both just get well actually the Russians don't, but the Russians don't make it in. You know, neither of them make any progress in Afghanistan and the British get absolutely destroyed. They do. That is so that's uh, it's very. I mean, obviously, it's very sad that lots of because those British soldiers probably did nothing, and probably the the Bengal uh, Indian conscripts also just got sent into a different world, and because stupid British generals yeah. got killed. But yeah, the arrogance and just the the pomposity of it all, and it come crashing down around them. Absolutely, and so feels so familiar them installing this like you know, British-controlled, influenced leader who doesn't actually do any, doesn't have a good job, and then is overthrown. Yeah. That's a very common history. It is, and I wish people would learn from history because it never works. Nope. You know, and the thing is, if you if they've done any history on Afghanistan, there are so many attempts to control this area, and it's mm. febrile. You can't control it. Yeah. Even the Afghans can't control it. No. You know, and that's okay. It's almost the beauty of the country is it can't yeah. be controlled. Yeah. So yeah. leave it alone. The people, the people will do what they will. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I had lots and lots of sources on this, but the main one to say is Ben McIntyre mm. wrote a book um, on a man called Josiah Harlan, who's a whole other story which we won't go into. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a great book. So look up Ben McIntyre and look at his books. And the one about Josiah Harlan is the one to go for. Mm. So, Patrick, what is happening in your episode of Kabul coming out in two weeks' time? So, in two weeks' time, we will be journeying backwards in time. And if you were interested in 
a particular part of Will's run through history, then you'll be very excited because we'll be looking at Baba, the guy who you rushed through a little bit. I'm quite glad you did because he is a very interesting guy and is the descendant of both the the Afghan rulers that we were talking about in this episode. Absolutely. So we will kind of see what what is the inheritance they're trying to claim. Yeah, lay claim to. Lay claim to. Lay claim to. What is that? Why Why do they believe they can rule? Well, this guy is that guy. So we will be learning all about him in two weeks' time. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for listening, guys. As always, it's a pleasure. Um, and we'll be in touch soon. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. <laughs>